Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled Job 1414. <clears throat> Greetings, everyone. Job 14:14. Job asked, if a man die, shall he live again? We've heard that asked many times, and we also know the answer, because it's just a part of our being. It's a part of our being here. If a man dies, shall he live again? You know, that's our hope. Job said, all the days of my life, of my appointed time, will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer you. You will have a desire to the work of thine hands. These words he said after he endured a lot of pain, a lot of trial, a lot of suffering. Very hard uh, things that came upon his life. But it is the last part of this verse that answers why mankind sometimes faces various trials persecutions, all sorts of trouble in their life. We call them afflictions. But we are a work in progress. We're still being shaped. We're being shaped even by the conditions around us, our situations in life. And when that work is done, when that appointed time in which we await our change in the resurrection comes, the master potter will have a desire to that work of his hands. We are a work of his hands. <clears throat> I have fired a few pots in my day. That means that I, you know, shaped up some uh, clay and turned it into some pottery and have taught that. But you put them in a kiln, big old fiery oven. You watch the time, you watch the temperature, and sometimes you peek through this little hole to see how the thing, uh, how everything is going on the inside very hot. You don't put your, your eyeball up close to the hole, but you do. You can peer into it to see how it's going. And those pots are being fired. They're being heated up. At the beginning, clay is made from, you know, powdered dust. And so you uh, put water on, on it. And uh, I made some clay a long time ago. You just uh, put the dust on the floor, maybe on a plastic, and then you pour water on it. And use your feet to sort of... Uh, to uh, shape it up. It's mixed, uh, the water mixes with the clay so that it's moist and then it becomes pliable and easy to shape. Then it's kneaded. You know, you get, get out all the air pockets that might be in the clay so that when you put it in the kill, uh, it won't bust because if there is an air bubble inside the uh, walls of the clay, the heat will uh, expand that uh, bubble and it will blow up, it'll explode and so you have a pot that it doesn't take shape. But once it survives that firing process, it's taken out and, and, uh, and then it's uh, dried again. It's, uh, you put it aside and then later on you're going to fire it again. But this time you're going to put glaze on it. You're going to make it uh, look pretty once it comes out. And the way you touch, uh, the way you, uh, the clay is done in the beginning is, you know, you put the clay to your cheek, and if it's the room temperature, it's ready for firing. So there's a lot of things that go into the process, 
process of firing uh, pottery. Now, at that moment, after the glaze is put onto the pottery, the, the potter looks forward to seeing the outcome of, of his glazing, of, uh, of all the steps that he's taken to produce pottery. And so once the, the, the uh, kill clicks off, then you wait a little while before you touch it because it's still hot. And that's what happens whenever sometimes we go through a trial or some tribulation. We're kind of put into the kill, into the kiln to be heated up. But the outcome becomes a very pretty piece of pottery. So God is working with us. And so we can ask ourselves, are we the work of his hands? And what is he doing in our life to work with us? We know that Jesus Christ is our example. If we go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, Hebrews 12. And in verse 1, we see here an exhortation to faith and godliness, even in the uh, face of whatever trial and tribulation we might have. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, let us, uh, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we see in the scripture here that we are to run with patience. We are to take this course with patience. And it's uh, already set before us. Whatever there is in our life that you know, makes up uh, our course in life. And you know, that course can be different from others. You have a course to run. I have a course to run. And they're different. Some may be smooth at times. Some may be rocky road at times. But there is a course that we all run. I can compare this, I suppose, a race or a course with, you know, in track. When I was in high school, I lettered in track. I, I ran the uh, 120 low hurdles because I'm not very tall. And uh, I ran the uh, mile relay and the 440-yard dash. While others had, you know, had shot put or pole vaulting or they did the 100-yard dash. But it was all for the purpose of gaining the prize, getting the ribbon, the blue ribbon, in the event that we entered. But we had a coach that would uh, train us. He would put us into a position and he'd say, I want you to do this and this will be your event. And then we would train for that particular event. And then when we went to the uh, track meets, then he would be able to see the outcome. He would be able to see the work of his hands. In verse uh, 2, we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He saw all the things that his race was going to accomplish. He saw you. He saw me, knowing that he could bring joy to our existence, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Sometimes the obstacle course or the course ahead of us will cause us to faint. It will cause us to be weary. But in verse 4, you haven't 
you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. So we're children. We're still being taught things. We're still learning lessons in life. My son, despise not you the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father uh, chastens not? So sometimes chastening comes our way. And it could be heavy at times. And we think, well, you know, God is against us. He's not for us. But we're being shaped. And we're being shaped for a prophet. We're being shaped because someday we will be the work of his hands. And so we have to let God work in us. Even though we may not see the end of things, it comes about in, in uh, surprising and sometimes miraculous ways. Romans chapter 8. start with verse uh, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the uh, sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together uh, until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our, of our body. So if a man die, shall he live again? And that's the salvation we hold out uh, hope for. And no matter what the course may be or what we have to come through to get there, we wait on a glory that is to be revealed in us when the time comes. It may seem far off at times. It may seem unbelievable at times. Sometimes uh, we may think, well, maybe there is no hope for us. But there is. But we, in the meantime, do suffer. We suffer from various things. Uh, there's war. There's uh, murder. There's diseases. And the answer, we know, is pretty simple. It's because there's disobedience. And it is all due to sin. We've heard that the laws of God are like gravity. You know, you work within the law of gravity, you're going to be okay. But if you step outside the uh, bounds of that law, then 
you'll suffer the consequences. There are things we sometimes don't see in our life. There was something that Job didn't see, and God revealed it to him. Let's go to the book of Job, chapter 1. Or I'll go there. You guys can look at the screen here. Job, chapter 1. Kind of lay down here. Golden tab. Job 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep, and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And it was so when the days of their, uh, excuse me, in verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned, and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So he wasn't one to give up on prayer for his children. No matter where they were or what they might be doing, he offered prayer and thanksgiving to God. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Kind of get an idea of what this being does. He goes to and fro, here and there. He walks up and down in it. Like that uh, proverbial line that is seeking whom it may devour. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil. And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Look, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. And so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So we see here that, you know, it was God who gave permission to Satan to do what he had in mind. Just don't, just don't uh, take his life. You know, there are heavenly things when you go through these scriptures. There are heavenly things that go on, even as we speak. Things that are occurring. So, Satan is allowed certain things. And what did Job do? Verse, let's see, verse 12. Let's, verse 13. And there was a day 
when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them, and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon, cam upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. So these things came one right after the other. And Job arose, and he rent his mantle, and he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So Job acknowledged God's supreme will. Though devastating, he did not you know, curse God. He did not blame God. He didn't sin. In Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Because Job passed the first test. And the Lord said unto Satan, again, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Kind of sassy-like, I guess you might say. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil? When you look at these uh, descriptions of this man, of, the, of Job, we see even God's words describing him as a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil. And still he holds fast, that his, fast his integrity, although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. When you see those descriptions sometimes, we think of ourselves. How does God see us? Do we fit into all these words that he, that, uh, he described Job as being? You know, a righteous person is one who keeps the commandments. And we're not perfect. We, all, we already we know that. And so Satan answered the Lord, and he said, skin for skin. Yeah, all that a man has will he give for his life. But put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. So 
once again, we see where in verse 6, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but save his life, spare his life. And once again, we see that Satan can't do anything without permission from Almighty God. Verse 7, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Um, I, I know some people who have had just, you know, just single boils, and it just gives them an infection, it gives them a temperature, and it's very, very sore. I can't imagine what it would be like to have boils all over the body. And then on top of that, to decide that you want to scrape them off. I, it's, that's what he did. He, wanted, he got that to, uh, to sort of take care of the uh, boils that were on his skin. And then he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Because, you know, Job was in such pain. Didn't know if he's going to endure it all, but he did. And he said unto her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And in all this did not Job sin with his lips. And verses 9 through 13, uh, you can you read the rest of the book, and, and you see where this conversation between Job and his friends uh, begins to take place. They, they blamed it all on Job, because after all, God is good. You can't blame it on him, they said. But Job knew that there was a great purpose being worked out, that God allowed the evil, and he allowed it to touch Job. In Isaiah chapter 45, Verse, verse 7. Here's what one of the statements that we can see that, that God is in control, that he allows things. He said, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And we wonder, well, if he's created this, why, had, why this evil? It's to give us a choice. To give us a choice between good and bad and to know the difference that we will choose the right way. Because God is not twisting our arms to give us a certain way to go. He does things so that we will realize the right way to go in various circumstances. But because of his steadfastness and the holding on to his own righteousness, Job became self-righteous, as, as we know. And he was, he was perhaps well aware of it and proud. Let's go to Job uh, chapter 27.
Well, I'm going to skip that. But let me just tell you about Job 27, uh, verses 2 through 6. This is where it has been brought out that Job used the personal pronoun I 15 times. And in chapter 29, he uses it 50 times. And gradually we see where Job began to see himself as God saw him. And we see why God, in the beginning, allowed evil to come upon him. So all of the accomplishments that Job had, he had a lot of wealth, he had possessions, and he had some er earthly accomplishments that uh, gave him confidence, that gave him pride. I did this, he might say. I can do that. And he may have been the most righteous man on earth, but compared to God, there really was no comparison. And Job began uh, to see it. Job 27. <clears throat> Let's go to Job uh, 38. Not used to my fingers doing the walking. They tire out pretty quick nowadays. Uh, letters aren't big enough, really. Job 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So, he, you know, he's been listening to the conversation between Job and his friends. Gird up now your loins like a man, for I will demand of you and answer you me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. You know, physicists and people uh, look out and they wonder how the universe was put together. They have ideas. They have theories. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who has laid the measures thereof, if you know? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it brake forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band for it. And break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said hitherto shall you not shall you come but no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed and we know how strong waves of the ocean can be in devastating villages and shorelines have you commanded the morning since the days and caused the day spring to know his place so we're getting a glimpse into the, the power and into the mind of God as he is talking to Job.
that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in the search of the depths? Have the gates of death been opened unto you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadows of death? I suppose to each of these questions that Job was saying, no. Have you perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if you know it all. Where is the way where light dwells? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? that you should take it to the bound thereof, and that you should know the paths to the house thereof. Know you it because you uh, were then born, or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered into the treasures of the snow, or have you seen the treasures of the hail? So we could go on and read how the Almighty God is responding to Job in his afflictions, trying to get across something that Job has yet to see. And Job chapter 42, skip ahead here. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from you. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. So the lesson that we see Job was learning was humility. To humble the self and to realize that we as his children are totally dependent upon God in every way. And it takes faith and it takes patience to submit to his will and then to endure. But we do know and we do see that the Almighty God is in charge and he's working out a plan and a purpose in every individual's life. Then we can read on down in verse 12. We, can, we see that uh, the Lord blessed the latter end of Job, more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. All of these things, God blessed him with more. And so we see Job, Job, Job became ever more confident that something better was in store, that God was with him, even in his afflictions, that God was working with him, shaping him, in John chapter 3, verse uh, 3. Jesus answered, he's talking to uh, Nicodemus, Truly I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
So there is a change that is going to come when, you know, we will be born again. Of course, whenever you are baptized and whenever you accept Christ, there is a, a certain feeling that comes over you. That you feel refreshed, that you feel like a new creature. But we're still mortal. We're still waiting for that change that is uh, going to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. Just verse uh, 44. About us as human beings. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. First man Adam was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So we're just in a natural state right now. We are still mortal, flesh and blood, subject to all kinds of afflictions, and even to the evil that is around us in this world, even though uh, the, uh, we don't do the evil, what other people do and perpetrate upon innocent people, it happens. And we know that God allows it. In Romans chapter 8, Let's take a look at verse 11 of Romans. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. <clears throat> Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live, to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we see it's important that we be led by the Spirit in our daily life. Because there are so many choices that come across in our, our life that we do have to choose. And we must choose to be led by the Spirit when there are conflicts that come along. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we know that there is a change coming, a resurrection that is to come when our bodies are going to be turned to spirit. A change coming to each one of us. Some are now asleep, waiting that change. 1 John, chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. So we shall be like Christ in, in the family of God. And these words are from the one who, who spoke to Job. 
And we sometimes wonder, well, what will that change be like? How will we be, uh, what kind of glory will that be? I'm just going to make references to these uh, uh, statements. For example, in John 3, verse 8, we won't be subject to physical laws or confinements. In the book of John 3, 8, there were a lot of things that would defy our, or, you know, our infinite, uh, not our finite mind, that is. Things that, will, that look impossible became possible. In Luke 24, uh, verse 36 through 37, and that we can suddenly appear and then vanish. We could also take on physical form. In John chapter 20, we can travel quickly through space and back the same day. In John chapter 20, verse 19, we see where Christ passed through solid wall because he was spirit. Let's go to Revelation, however, to chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I saw an angel, verse 1, come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and uh, Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be uh, loosed a little season. And, he, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for uh, the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So there is a time coming when we will be given wisdom and judgment. And... Be with Christ, even though there will be afflictions that we would ha will have to endure when that time before that time comes. Just a little more about uh, what we shall be like, Revelation chapter one. Take a look at uh, Jesus Christ here. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And as Romans 16 tells us that we're to be joint heirs with Christ, glorified together with him, if so be that we suffer with him, we run with patience all of the, uh, the course that is set before us, overcoming those things that would easily beset us. Christ is working in us. Now, 
in Mark 7, verse 21, verse 22, it, it talks about where evil thoughts pr proceed from. It comes from the heart. And, you know, that's the natural carnal mind that's opposed to God. And these things often tempt us. But we're, and, you know, by experience we're able to see the good and bad of those things. And being able to choose the right path only by comparison. Love over hate. Good over evil. And sometimes it's trials, sometimes it's adversities, sometimes it's all sorts of things that can weaken us. So we in, have to, in daily prayer to God, pray that he will not lead us into sore trial, but to deliver us from the evil that is in the, wor in the world, because he's the only one who can. So, <clears throat> I have to cut this short. And, just as the potter shapes, you know, the pottery, fires his pottery to the li his liking, decorates it to his liking. All the days of our appointed time, we will wait till our change comes. And he shall call, and we will answer him, because we have a desire, for he will have a desire, to the work of his hands. So, in the process of time, as we live out this life, we are the work of his hands. We just have to see what God is doing in our life, put our trust in him, looking to his, the hope that he's given to each and every one of us.